We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All systems are good. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Oh, well, hello there. Welcome back. Here we go again on another audio adventure on Insight with Chris Van Vliet. Hey, that's me. I'm CVV Chris Van Vliet. So glad to have you with us on this one. And look, I know Tyrus from one very specific phase of his life. That's when I was introduced to him. He was Brodus Clay in WWE, the Funkasaurus with the Funkadactyls. But the interesting thing about him is he means so many different things to so many different people. You may know him as Tyrus from his time in Impact Wrestling or now as the current NWA television champion, or like a lot of non-wrestling fans, you may know him as Tyrus from Fox News Channel and the Greg Gutfeld Show. By the way, speaking of NWA, Always Ready is just around the corner, June 11th, live on Fight TV from Knoxville, Tennessee. This conversation is an in-depth look at who Tyrus is as a person And also the success story of someone who is absolutely crushing it outside of the wrestling world. His new book called Just Tyrus, a memoir, is out now. You can follow him on Twitter at Planet Tyrus. On Instagram, he's at Tyrus Smash. If you're looking for me, you can find me at Chris Van Vliet. Snap a screenshot, tag us so we can repost it and so that we know you're listening to this episode. Hey, Fernie316, you're our fan of the week. Thank you so much for leaving this review on Apple Podcasts. I've been a longtime fan of the show and a fan of the podcast since the beginning. Chris, I hope you have yourself a happy birthday. You are one of the best at what you do. Keep up the awesome work. And remember, age is only a number. Well, thank you. My birthday was on May 19th, so I appreciate you leaving the very kind words here. I read one review from Apple Podcasts on every episode. It's my way to say thank you. Thank you for being on this journey with me. We are in this thing together. If you're listening on Spotify, I actually just tweeted this out. We just hit 700 ratings on Spotify. So if you're listening on Spotify, it takes like one second. Just go in there, click on the stars, and that's it. It'd be so awesome if you could do that. All right, let's dive into this one. Please welcome the one, the only, Tyrus. There he is, Tyrus. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Good, man. How are you? Doing great. I I don't know what to congratulate you on first. I just feel like, you know, you've got so many things going on. So I'll just say, you know, congrats as a whole for the book, for uh, the return to NWA, for everything going on. Yeah, I mean, across the board, I got a number one show uh, in in the country. 
uh, current world heavyweight television championship. There it is. Uh, I know. Don't go. Never go home without it. It's like an old American Express. Does that fit around your waist, by the way? It, it does, but Dusty never wore it around his waist, so I don't. He always carried, he always held it like this. That's right, yeah. A major award, so I'm doing the same. So, um, so for me, this was, uh, this has been, uh, you know, I got the uh, my seventh tile defense is coming up in uh, always ready. So after that, I can call my shot. But I've already been on the record that uh, not relinquishing this title anytime soon, other than if somebody beats me. So yeah, uh, Billy Corgan uh, had that stipulation in with after seven, you can cash the title in for a uh, title shot. And I'm just adamantly against that. I think you can, if you win one, then you can surrender the other, mm. you know, but you just don't give up gold to try to get gold. That just doesn't make sense to my brain. So yeah. I, I hear you. Congrats on the, the book as well. Yeah. Oh, just tire. Where's it's like show and tell here. This is great. Yeah. I got the only thing I didn't have. Uh, I had another. Here it is. Um, still trying to figure out why anybody would want to pay money for a topless picture of me, but I'll <laughs> I'll take it. Um, the book. The success of the book has been. I'm still not really quite figuring it out how it's crossed over to so many different people at a time where all we hear about is division and I'm anything from teenagers to grandmas to uh, ethnic across the board really doesn't matter. It just seems like we all have one thing in common and it's the acceptance of failure seems to be uh, non-denominational. It doesn't really matter where where your thought part, we've all been through it. And to talk about it honestly, I think is, is something that it's not a secret recipe but it's just something that we just don't have anymore, or at least we haven't had in a while. Yeah. Well, I think that people often just see the finished product and like you know, a lot right. of people were introduced to you as Brodus Clay and they didn't know your story leading up to there. The book like really opens it up and people realize that like to get that finished product, there has to be a lot of stumbles along the yeah, way. It's, a, it's clay. It is a lot of cutting and a lot of trimming. And that's it just, it, just for where you are today, where you are. I mean, it's not like you just walked through life and then just decided to be a reporter. You know what I'm saying? It was like you went through, I'm sure you had other things you wanted to do and doors closed and we all have a story. Mm. Uh, I think. And the one thing I try to uh, point out in the book is like, my story is not any better than yours. And because of the color of my skin, it doesn't make my story more compelling. It's, and we all need to get back to realizing that, that we all have issues. And if we talk about them, honestly, we have a lot in common. Yeah. And I think that's what the book is is bringing. I get a lot of that, especially about the father stuff. I'm really surprised. Uh, I've gotten a lot of reviews. That's probably my favorite thing about the book is on Amazon. I think just on Amazon alone, I think I'm almost over 3,000 reviews. And I've really taken the time to read them. And um, people talk about how they don't. It's not like, oh, I'm you're so brave, and you know, like, oh, it's like, oh man, this reminds me of this, or this is a part of I had the same thing, but I never talked mm-hmm. about it. So that's the part that you know your message gets across because it's not about virtue signaling or being praised as a victim, as we see so much now. It's about saying, hey, look, it's if you're going through stuff right now, it's part of the process, right? You know, it's not a lot of times people just like you said, the finished product, and they think it was just an easy. I mean, the Funkasaurus was technically a punishment, but, you know, I turned it around. But still, it could have went a million other different ways. Where do you think for you your story 
really begins? Uh, probably just, you always think of that one memory you have sure. as a child. And I've had like four specific memories that like I can just go back. And, and, and it was probably the most unpleasant uh, memory was the day that uh, we got, we had got rescued from a, uh, my my father, my mother finally got away from my biological father, who was a monster to her. And when he turned it on to me, that's when she had enough. And mm. you hate to say it's a good thing that he turned it on me, but I don't think if he would have, if he would always kept the abuse to her, I don't think she would have ever got out of it. And it probably would have ended up with her death. Mm. So, and then we get out of it and you kind of catch your breath. And we had like two weeks of like, not being afraid of noises in the night and then you know my grandfather comes down and just basically says you got to get your life together you have to go to school become a, a nurse a, a secretary you have to do something but they can't stay here and me being present for that and me it being pointed out to me that i can't have black kids in my house and just it, it's a constant reminder of the shame you brought to this family and all that stuff that for me was a changing point in my life because that was the first time I really felt like I didn't belong and there was nothing I could do about it, which is like a suffocating feeling. And then I go through the series and stuff. But for me, that was the thing where like, I'm, but my whole thing was like, I was going to show him that he was wrong, mm -hmm. that I did belong. And so that kind of fuels you, even though it's misdirected and you're never going to really change somebody, somebody who's set in their ways like that, you're not really going to change their mind. You have to change your own mind. And I had to learn that. And I, in the book, you kind of see where I butt my head against the wall a lot, trying to not really knowing how to navigate or I'm always trying to prove other people wrong instead of proving myself right. I, I, I feel like there were there's, there's a moment in everybody's life yeah. that changes their life forever. Was that the moment for you? That's the moment that I think uh, that's when my childhood stopped. And that's when the fight began. And it was the timing's horrible. You don't want to be uh, five years old and start, you know, thinking like you're an adult or whatever, or whatever that you can't even really describe it. But I think that for me was, I noticed that's when I became an individual. Yeah. That's when I noticed everyone's differences. Like as a kid, most kids don't like when I look at my kids, my kids don't give a damn who they play with. All they care about, are they fun? Do they not to play roadblocks? And then, you know, as long as they got those two things together, it doesn't matter. But yeah. when uh, me at that age, I was like, okay, that guy's this, this one's this, this one. I was already labeling and attaching meaning to everything. And it's never going to be good at that age when you start doing things like that. So that for me, and then probably, probably the day I got fired from the WWE the second time, I think was what I think was a, a game changer for me because it was like my last month or two or maybe uh, my last three months in the WWE, I was bitter, angry. I never really got over the WrestleMania match getting cut. I always felt I felt like I was wronged. And the other guys all seemed to like Cody and uh, Dustin went on to be tag champs. And Tenzai ended up being it was going to be a trainer. And uh, Sandow was Sandow. And I felt like I kind of got stuck holding the bag. So I was kind of real, it was a tough, and it was a tough pill to swallow and I just refused to swallow it. So, and I started thinking like, well, I, if I'm not here, I can do this and I can, I can do that. I can be an actor. I can do this. I can do whatever the hell I want. But you always say those things and then you say them enough and it gets around enough 
to where everyone here is like, you're unhappy, you don't want to be here. So yeah. the next release comes and they release you. And then uh, when I got the call, I was uh, driving to go train at Hard Knock South. And I remember I just pulled over for the phone call because I realized it was important because Corona was calling me. And it was either one, I was going back on the road or two, I was getting canned. And, and it was the latter, I was getting canned. But um, I just remember sitting there going, okay, big mouth. What do you got? What are you going to do? Are you going to be the guy four months from now who's backstage at a house show hoping John Laronitis walks by you or Triple H walks by you and say, hey, can I get a dark match? Or, hey, is there is there anything I can do? You know, and you see those you see those guys when you're there. Yeah. And it's like there's there's two. One, you feel sorry for them or two. You're kind of like, that's not going to be me. <laughs> you know, it's just. It's a it's a weird thing you never want. And it's, and I get it. Hey, uh, closed mouths don't get fed. But that is one of the most you have the least leverage when you're going to them, asking them to give you a shot. And sometimes it turns around. But more often than not, you know, you get the pity thing or the the worst. And, and uh, uh, out of respect for the individual, I'll leave his name out of it. But when uh, he was trying to ask the producer if he can get a match or whatever, and the guy just said, I don't have time for this. I'm busy. And then he's got to stand there with everyone looking at him. And I was like, that is not going to be me. Mm. So, um, and then I was like, what am I going to do? You know, of course, and then impact called me the next day. And then I, you know, I started doing uh, TV shows and stuff, but there was a lot of like, the money was gone. You know what I'm saying? There was not a lot of money coming in. Like it was because WWE, you go to a house show, you get a piece of the house. Like you, you can, and I earned my contract and like, my, every year you have a contract, I probably out-earn my contract probably in like three or four months. So you had good money coming in, but then when it's when you're off the road, you ain't got nothing coming in. Yeah. So you eat through stuff, you don't think about it, and taxes step in, and I always had a relative with his hands out like this, and uh, you want to take care of everybody. So I had to learn, I had to learn some painful lessons about, because when you give everything out to people, when you don't have anything, one, they're not around, and two, they damn sure ain't bringing it back. They're like, hey, remember that five grand you gave me two years ago? Here you go, bro. No, you know, they'll, they'll say it's not my fault. You got let go. Yeah. You know, so I had, I had a lot of, a lot of, uh, and you would think at, at, you know, at my age at 30, I think it was 36 or 38, you'd think you would already have known it by then, but I had a lot of growing up to do. And after the WWE release and I had to really look at how I did business and how I caused things to happen as opposed to, because you always want to blame the other guy, when you get fired, you always want to blame, it's the, you know, it's Vince's fault, it's Triple H's fault, Stephanie's fault. You know, you want to blame all, they had nothing to do with it. I did it. And I had to go back to what I talk about in my book about my grandmother said, it's not what happens to you when you get in the mouth, it's your reaction that defines you. And the WWE is a perfect example of my reaction defining how I was looked at when I was there the last, the, the last bit of my uh, time in the WWE. You mentioned earlier that the Funkasaurus was a punishment. like. How did that come together? So, uh, trip, first of all, Triple H and Stephanie were uh, just phenomenal, right? I was with Alberto Del Rio, and I really turned some heads. I did some good things, and I had yeah. uh, we had a good WrestleMania, and they're like, this guy's this guy's legit. Arn Anderson, oh man, I probably he had a, he used to say, how many damn shirts have I wrung out, messing rolling around with you in the ring, and getting you ready to be a killer heel? And and his goal was for me to tune me up for Cena. And that's what you want, you know. Cena was is was the well, he's still. I mean, Roman's doing a great job, but it's it's still Cena till it's not. Sure. And um, that's what you want as a heel. That's where you want to go. 
and you want to go with the takers and, and Kane and those those individuals, Big Show, those are the guys you want. And so that's what you're training for. And then <clears throat> it was a combination of two things. One, I make a lot of jokes, obviously. Uh, those who watch the Gothel show and see my stand-up stuff, I have a lot to say. And I tease and make jokes in the locker room. And uh, I think it was Yoshi Tatsu went out and he bought bruh, he bought an all white leather outfit from boots, pants. I didn't know they made leather shirts and a leather jacket and a leather man bag. All white. It was like peanut butter, peanut butter brown heels and white. This thing was, I don't even know. You couldn't even say he looked like a pimp, but he just, it was just, and he paid like some ungodly amount of money for that. And uh, I started teasing him about it. And I think I can't remember all the jokes, but it was something to the effect like how many peanut butter brittle cows had to die for you to realize this was a bad choice. And then we you think he paid like I want to say like 10 grand for this outfit. And I was Jeez. like, I was like, what are you doing? You know, like and we were just teasing him. And Mark Henry, I think he recorded the jokes or something, and he was laughing about something. And um because Yoshi sometimes would pretend like his English wasn't very good. And I, I think the joke was, yeah, until your check comes, because that zero is mixed up. Your English is perfect. People think you're from Britain. Your English is so good. And everyone was laughing about it. And apparently, he decided to show it to, to the boss, who thought it was funny. And so he was laughing about it. And then he walked by the, I guess he locked by the locker room and heard me making jokes again, teasing. It was riffing in the locker room. And uh, the next meeting, Triple H is getting ready to debut his monster. And uh, he was like, are we sure? He likes to make a lot of jokes. He thinks he's a pretty funny guy. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, that's just how he is. And then um, they approached me with being a baby face. And my answer was basically uh, F no. Mm. Not interested. Maybe at some point, but not now. You know, and basically I rejected. But I didn't know where it was coming from. So it was frowned upon a little bit. Mm. And so then it was uh, Triple H came back to me and he looked. Like lost his best friend when he was trying to tell me because I mean we're running vignettes and stuff and I'm hyped I'm ready to go I'm chomping at the bit um, I just came off of the I had the staples in my head healed from the Alberto when Christian won the championship and he hit me in the head with the, the ladder and I'd finished the movie No One Lives so I was ready to go like I was just ready to go and he was like the old man thinks you're funny, man. And I was like, okay, what is that? Well, yeah, funny how? Funny, I'm a clown to him? I amuse him? You know, doing the joke that she thing. He's like, he thinks you're a baby face. And I was just like, what? What? Mm. I'm the house of pain. I'm collecting, I'm eating children practically. What? What? What's, how do we get him to cheer for that? He's like, we, we don't. So we're going to change things up. And he was trying to, and he did a, and he did a great job of messaging it to me. And I just, immediately um it's like smiling while you get a shot you know what i'm saying it's like you're smiling and you're going what uh and you're looking around for cameras or someone to jump out and be like ah, i got you and um i just uh, immediately said can i go uh see dusty can i go deal with dusty he'll know what to do and he was like you know and apparently the other caveat that he has oh, is one more thing and i was like well he's like you think she should dance too and i was just like what I don't dance, bro. Even when I was in the club's bodyguard, I didn't dance. Yeah. I don't, that's not my, I don't, what? Like, what? And he's like, he loves to dance. Everyone who's seen Vince McMahon's stuff over the years, 
this dude loves to dance. Let's see. He loves it. He loves it. So, and I'll, but I do not, I'm anti-dance. If there was ever someone who hated <laughs> dance, no one hated dance more than me. Like, um, I would take a, I would take an O for the day in PE during square dancing. I was just like, I'm not doing it. It's not my thing. I don't like, it. and, uh, so I went back to, uh, FCW to Dusty and I came in the office and I kicked the chair over and I was like, they're trying to hate on, they're doing this to me. They're blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, he says it. <laughs> he always had a way of like making it. He took it from me and put it on himself. Like he took the burden off me, and he's like, "Listen, you're mine. You're my. You're my, you're one of mine. You're you're my history. You're me. So you have to pay for my sins." And he's like, "When I had to wear, wear the polka dots, I had I had babies to take care of. I had a mortgage to pay, and I went out there and I wore those polka dots." I was a three-time world heavyweight champion. And I, are you saying you better than me? Are you saying you can't do what this man asked you to do and turn around on him? Wow. So when he did that to me, yeah. I all of a sudden now felt like an idiot and a jerk. I was like, well, I didn't. And I'm like, I'm sorry, man. The polka dots was cool. You're damn right they was cool because I made them cool. You know? And I was like, he's like, can you make this cool? What do you like? I was like, well, I mean, if I had to do anything, I guess I could do something like Run DMC, like, because they didn't really dance. They kind of, you know, he's like, well, there you go. There you go. So there came the tracksuit. Mm-hmm. And then um, trying to figure out how to dance, he was like, come with me. And he kicked everybody out the arena and he had his uh, the sound guy put on a song that was Moves Like Jagger. And I was like, what are you doing? And he was like, dance with me. I'm like, I'm not dancing with you, bro. He's like, dance with me. And he was like doing his thing. And I'm like standing there and it was, and then by after like a few minutes, like you just can't resist him. If anyone's ever spent time with the American dream, you cannot resist him when he starts, when he gets an idea and he gets going, it becomes your idea. And the next thing you thought it was like a bad episode of Footloose, me dancing around the arena, just me and him. And he's like, see, you get used to it. And see, it ain't that bad. This, that, that. And he's like, you, you're supposed to have rhythm. And I was like, yeah, but I don't like it. And before we know it, I'm laughing and we're having fun. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not going to come out there with me, are you? And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. I've, I've paid my. He's like, but that's a good idea. And then he's like, who can we get that could help you? Because, you, you know, you, you got to dance and stuff. And then just so happened, Naomi was literally in this weird position where she was the best athlete in FCW. And just they didn't have a spot for her. And she started working with uh, Ariane. Like they were trying to do something. She was trying to come up with something. And I just walked over to her. And we had an idea before we tried to do. And it it got uh, shot down. But I was like, I need your help. And it's like. But it's. It was a step back for her. Because as a wrestler, everyone knows that she's. She's probably. She's probably a Hall of Fame. In terms of just her technique and her skill set. But uh, and she was like, I got you, but just tell me what it is. And I said, you know, and I had to be careful because it was important to me out of respect for Naomi that it wasn't a situation. Like, and I love the Godfather and I love Tuco Scorpio, but it, it couldn't be that it, mm. it couldn't be, you know, the whole trains and it couldn't be that, you know, and uh, her husband is a very good friend of mine. So it had to be like a, a cheerleader situation or a, like a teammate. It had to be a team. It couldn't be anything other than that. And then when I came up with the Funkadactyls, um, the emphasis was we want little girls and little boys to want to be Funkadactyls just as much as they want to be Funkasaurus. So 
that was important to us. And we were able to get that together. And then once choreography and stuff, like she had me looking cool. Like that was all, all Naomi and Ariana. Like they made me cool. And the cold part was if I didn't feel like dancing that much, who was really going to watch me dance when you had those two dancing? Right. And they're doing flips and all kinds of stuff. And I'm just literally going like this and no one's <laughs> tripping. So I'm winning. So it was a, it was this massive team effort with uh, the American dream, Dusty Rose and, and um, Naomi and uh, Ariane, they made it uh, to where I could pull it off. Cause I could not have done it without them. I, wow. It never would have, it never would have got off the ground. And then the night we're getting ready because Undertaker hated it. Taker absolutely hated it. He's like, look at you. He's like, you're the one guy who looks the part. So why are we doing this? And he looks, he goes to me and he was always tough on me. Uh, it was always tough love with him. But uh, he was like, you know what? You should fall. I was like, say what? <laughs> He's like, fall. Go out there, fall on the ramp. They'll cut the whole gimmick. And then you can get back to being what you need to be. And I just remember saying, would you do that? And he was like, no, I do as I was told. I was like, <laughs> so I did not fall. But his message was clear. You do what you told, yeah. no matter what you want to do, and it will work out. So, and then, of course, it was lightning in a bottle, and we had the number one toy, and the kids liked it. And you know, it was a nice. And the more I thought about it, it was a nice tribute to not just Dusty, but like JYD, and uh, even Hogan did the stuff with the kids in the ring and flexing and stuff. So it was a it was a part of the the business that had kind of gone away, and it was kind of cool that that I got to bring it back for a little while. So I look on it, I look on it fondly now. I don't. I and I look at where I was at, you know, and I realized that anybody can pretend to be tough on TV. Mm. We got enough fake tough guys on TV to last us a, a lifetime. And right. so but being entertaining and going out and smiling and making everybody smile. And then when the bell rings, be able to, you know, do your thing. Uh, that's not easy. So uh, that was the toughest challenge of my wrestling career. And when I look back on it, my favorite. And a lot of people will remember just the entrances and not the yep. amazing matches. And when you have an entrance like that, with a theme song like that, by the way. Yeah, so which catchy. wasn't mine. It was originally Ernest the Cat Miller's. And because he used to yell, somebody call my mama before you come out. Yeah. So then I had heat with him, even though I had nothing to do with it. And I was like, bro, you know we don't pick. Because, that, you know, but uh, and then that song became uh, to where to this day, people will come up to me and still sing it to me. And But now the kids are, are grown. So it's like I'll see somebody in the airport and it'll be like, hey, man, you used to come out to that. And that's I still have that song on my iPad. And I was like, all right, cool, bro. It's like, I was like, wow, all right, thanks. And I feel really old now. I was at WrestleMania 28 when you called your mama and all the moms yeah. came out. Yeah. And here's the cool part. I, there was I'll never forget the guy who when I said everybody call your mom, he just put the phone to us and didn't really. He just did it. And called his mother. And then he kind of said, like, I'm calling my mother. Like, why? Am, and then he kind of looked up, like, why am I doing this? Like, it was. <laughs> You know, it was one, we were supposed to have a match with Heath Slater, uh, but time got cut, and uh, Cena uh, did probably the most one of the most selfless things that a guy who's the top guy who doesn't have to do things like this uh, was in there, and Vince was shaking his head. He's like the the match before you know time just wasn't one particular thing, but they were heavy on time. They had gone over, and. Um, He's like, he was shaking his head. And I think he was talking to like Michael Hayes and another one of the producers. And he was like, I think we're going to have to, we're going to have to cut it. And then all of a sudden Cena was getting ready. He's right behind me. He's standing in the thing. He looks at me and goes, I go to the bathroom. And I went, what? And he's like, I go to the bathroom. I don't know. Uh, usually I go to the bathroom. I don't know what, eight minutes, six minutes. I was like six. 
I can get in six. He's like, all right. And he just walked out of the, he walked out of the green, he walked out of Gorilla. And they were like, we're, so now they had to, now I had to go. And I was like, wow, I'm out. And so I went and I got my WrestleMania moment because Cena had to go to the bathroom. Wow. So yeah, that's, and that's the reason why you can never tell me nothing bad about uh, John Cena because he was the top guy. And there was no reason for him to do that other than he just felt like it was the right thing to do. So, and a lot, I'll talk about to a lot of people, but that to me was one of those moments where like, and it affects me now because being in a position now, when you get top billing and you do sell out places and everywhere you go, people want to, to see you or talk to you. Remembering the guy who's coming up behind you. Yeah. And don't treat him like he doesn't deserve to be there. So yeah. I always shake hands of every, like uh, whenever security covers me for events, I always thank everybody. And uh, Cena had a lot to do with that. Just yeah. remember, and, remember. And now you're in that position in NWA. Right. Yeah. So, and it's the same thing. Um, and Billy Corgan's cool anyways. He's just, he's something else, man. Uh, he is a, re- he is a wrestling fan like no other, but his mind for it is, is, is pretty, uh, he gets it. You know, he, he, and it's nice to have uh, when you, I've been fortunate to wrestle under some of the greatest minds in this business. When you think about Dusty Rose, Triple H, you know, I'm talking about outside the ring and Arn Anderson and Mike Rotundo, Michael Hayes. And then, you know, you get in a new, and then you go to a new company and um, you get in a different situation and you have someone with that same mindset because he's, you know, the Smashing Pumpkins are still relevant. I just went to one of his concerts in New Orleans and it was sold out. Like, sure, you know, and uh, I had no idea. Like, you, his voice is the thing you know about. You know, like when you hear his, he has that distinct voice. Yeah. But you, unless you've been to a concert, you have no idea what this dude is like with a guitar. Mm. Like, he's sick. It's like a next, it's a next level. Some of the riffs, you're like, what? How did I not know that this guy, you know, he plays like eight different guitars. And uh, each one is like a singer. Like it's just, it's unbelievable. So, but sometimes there's a disconnect. People who are successful and they try to go to another venue, they can't stay in front of themselves, you know, but he's hardly ever on camera. He lets the, he lets the wrestling do the thing. And our style is a little different uh, because we work stories and it's more, it's more physical and it's bigger guys. So um, it's a very, it, it, we found our niche and um we don't compete with the WWE. There's no point. No, and I, I hate saying anyone who does. You know, just watch WCW. It's you get about 83 weeks, but eventually, <laughs> the universe wins out. So um, it's it's a nice alternative. And for me, at this point in my career, when I probably could retire and and not look back, um, I'm not ready yet. I said I told Billy I'm good till. Uh, 20 23 24 then i'll probably hang it up just you can, and plus i mean unless my body starts to give out and you start to notice things like you're not doing what you need to do in the ring or your steps slower or things like that because i don't ever want to disrespect the sport that's been so great to me but um capturing gold capturing the nwa world television championship was a huge uh achievement for me and i was wwe i was tag team champs with kofi in brazil for two nights because uh, uh, Ron broke his foot, so I had to cover with him. I had to cover for him. So I was, I was, and technically I never lost. So I mean, I, I guess I could say I'm still 
holding on to that bronze tag title somewhere. But uh, that was the only time, and I had uh, wrestled Edge uh, for the world title on SmackDown, came up short, and that was my only title shot of uh, during my time in the WWE. So um, was very so this was a big deal to be yeah. to come in, get to where I needed to go, get a title shot with Pope. And uh, Pope fought like hell because he wasn't trying to give this up. And, yeah. um, and now I'm in a situation where I'm watching Matt Cardona and Nick Aldis and, and Trevor Murdoch. And I'm like, hi, fellas. And while this is going on, I'm having two and a half million people watch me every night with a title on my shoulder. And they keep asking me, like, why I'm the champ? Why would I not wear it? You wouldn't ask Muhammad Ali, why would he not have his heavyweight championship if he's going to be on TV? Like, I'm, and it's important to me also to represent where I came from. Yeah. Uh, it's important to see, for, especially for other wrestlers, because just like the NFL, just like the NBA, we don't, they don't have guaranteed contracts, you know, Major League Baseball and basketball does, but uh, especially NFL and wrestling, guys need to have, because it's such a physical sport, you got to have something else. You, you just you just have to and you don't always have to be the top guy in the business to be successful outside of yours because sometimes it has to do with promoters who they want to give matches to who they don't you know all that stuff and you can't always control politics and it can be frustrating but if you're truly talented it doesn't really matter yeah. it might not it might not work i might not wwe might not want to allow me to be the top guy there Right. For whatever reasons. And but I go somewhere else and I end up a top guy. What does that say? It says that I believed in that I was a star regardless of where I was. So and if you have that work ethic, it doesn't matter. Other people's opinions should never affect your destiny. So I think that's important. And for guys to be like, well, yeah, I didn't I'm not Cena or Rock. Yeah, because those are, you know, Rock is the number one actor in the in the world is the Rock. And then I think number five is like Cena. Like Cena's starting to do so, and they have the tremendous and they have the blessing and the tremendous platform to go along with their talent of the WWE, and it kind of slingshot them into into mainstream stardom. I didn't necessarily have that. WWE probably was like, "Oh, he'll be back," and then you get to a point where you're becoming a household name, which is whatever. And you know, people stop me all the time. That's a lot to do with grandmas, and we can talk about that. But um, to where they're like, "Well, you weren't." Were, were you WWE champion? I was like, no, I was number one contender for like a week or two. But it's, yeah. regardless, I said talent matters, and when you can transition to other things, now I'm in a position where I can very easily be it within the next few months the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Greg Guffell Show with my book and my Fox News. I mean, uh, it's a it's an exciting time, but you cannot be complacent. And you can't be like, I made it because I made that mistake before. I made yeah. that with the Funkasaurus, like, oh, I made it. And I got to do nothing else. And then it's like that. I mean, it's yeah. like that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My girlfriend's mom is the biggest Tyrus fan. So when so she's been reading your book. Her name's Therese. She's been reading your book. Thank and you, when Drew. she found out that we were doing this interview, she's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I said, well, do you want to ask him a question? She's like, oh, I would love to. So she prepared a question for oh, you. Oh, awesome. Let's do this. It's kind of long, but I, I want to read this It's fine. They always are. <laughs> I'd like to tell him how proud my friends and I are of him and how far he's come. We love his sense of his sense of humor and his intelligence and his sense of right versus wrong. Knowing his background now, my question would be what advice can he give to kids that are growing up now and feeling that they have issues that are too much to overcome? In my recent years of teaching, because she was a teacher, she's retired now, I've seen so many kids with so much to offer who just gave up. And I know that he grew up in a different time and situation than these kids are in but I'd really wonder what he would say to them. You know, that's a great question. And it's, it's not an easy question to answer for the very, she made such a great point. Of course, she's a teacher. So um, the times are different because uh, I was able to, there's not as much of an audience as when I'm growing up. What I'm saying is like social media has such a big imprint on kids and they unfortunately depend on that for self-esteem. I was I focused on real tangible things to grab onto, like friendships or goals. Like I want to do this and this. And I never had the pressure of coming home and looking at my Facebook and having people make fun of what I was wearing to school that day to to comp to go ahead go on top of a shitty home life, you know. So it is different, but it, it, I do think it's the same thing where you have to you cannot live in permanency. So what that means is that there's going to be a tomorrow. You have to keep telling yourself there's going to be a tomorrow. And this is not, this is not forever. This is, uh, this is happening right now and I'm going to beat this. And this is not going to beat me. So whatever it is. And in my case, I had an abusive stepfather and there was times when, you know, when you're laying on the ground and your nose is bleeding and you've been crying for so long, you're doing the hiccups and stuff. And it's very easy to curl up in a ball and just, and just quit. But there was always a voice in me that means he wins. So I kind of, for me, I made it a, a game and athlete and sports helped me, but also theater helped. Me. You know, everyone talks about my football and wrestling and stuff, but I was in drama class. I like playing characters. I like doing stand up. I like make, and it made, helped me feel better. So the, 
the advice, it's complicated, but for you have to find something that makes you feel good and helps you win. So if it's for me, it was um, it was wrestling, you know, watching wrestling every week and wrestling was great because it came on every week and my favorite heroes always were there, came back every week. So it was nice. You kept seeing that. And it was certain TV shows like The Incredible Hulk. I found heroes. I found things. So uh, the one thing was easier now is you can find things to believe in on social media. It doesn't always have to be watching YouTube channels and stuff. You can find people who have gone through what you've gone through and you can see their stories. You can also find it's a lot easier to find help. Than it was, you know, because when I was growing up, you didn't talk, especially boys. Boys weren't allowed to cry. Boys weren't allowed to say somebody hit me because then you were weak. And, you know, so I think it's a lot easier once you call out for help now to get those to get the help. But when you don't say anything, I think that's the problem. Or when you allow it, like when you let fear take over so much of, of the situation and realize if someone's abusing you, they're afraid of you. You know, and so you got to remember, you got to find that power. And again, every situation is different, but you got to talk about it and you've got to find things to that make that you believe in or things that you got to shoot for stuff, even if it's unattainable. Yeah. You know, but in the in like my son wants to be a Saiyan warrior and I don't have the heart to tell him that we're not Saiyan yet. Although we might look like Saiyans from Dragon Ball Z, but we're not. But I, you know. His nickname's Kakarot because that's what he believes in. When he's having a hard day at school and that stuff, he starts talking about that and I'll do it with him, you know, and I'll be like, you know, and I'll play the part. I'm usually, I'm always the bad guy because I always die. But, and eventually that morphs into other thing. I don't want him to be 25 years old going, look, I'm a saying prince. I'll be like, all right, son. Then obviously we played the game too long. But you have to help them because he struggles with me being gone all the time. You know, like I miss baseball games. I, you know, my daughter, I miss soccer games. I miss those things because I'm working so much and I'm traveling so much. Yeah. So they have to deal with that stuff and and trying to be there for them and guide them through that. And sometimes they don't want it from me because they're they're mad at me. And getting to express that is important. And and so they they focus on their hobbies and I try to you know support all their stuff. But it's it's a tough being a kid is tough. It's just I think in a really long answer to a great question. They, they just got to talk about it. I guess that's the best example. You cannot be quiet. You, you've got to speak on it. That's a great answer to a great question. And I know that through you being on Fox News, you've, like, you've opened up so much. We've seen a different side of you that we never saw when you were a wrestler. When that first started and you first got that job, were you worried at all that taking a political side by being on Fox News Channel would alienate other people? Terrified. Terrified. Uh, you know, a lot of my friends were because I believe the hype. I got caught up in, you know, you see the stuff on TV and like Fox News was supposedly this super racist network that hated black people. If you listen to anybody that was against them, you know, and, and if you didn't watch CNN or if you weren't a Democrat, there was something wrong with you. You're a liberal and you couldn't get jobs. You know, Hollywood wouldn't hire you, you know, and and you were something was wrong with you. And I had a, I. And I fell into that a little bit. And, you know, when uh, Guffell reached out to me on Twitter and offered me to come on the show, uh, my first, my, I was apprehensive at first. I was like, Fox News wants me on there? Obviously, this is a setup. They want to bring me on there and try to embarrass me or look dumb or something. And I'm like, well, they picked the wrong one. Mm-hmm. And my whole thing has been to walk towards challenges, not walk away from them. 
And if you walk through, if you walk towards the fear, it's less scary. So I was like, I'll go on there one time. And I go on the show with literally, I was waiting for him to say something like, oh, wrestling's fake, you know, or I was going to, am I going to have a Dr. D David Schultz moment right here where I got to, you know, like put hands on a little guy. Like I didn't really know what was going to happen. And basically asked me my opinion. I think it was a Royal Grande. She was stealing donuts with her boyfriend. I think that was the story that he gave. Oh, yeah. No, she was licking the donuts. Licking the donuts and putting them back. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, taste test has significantly changed since I was a kid. They used to have little samples on the thing with it. But, you know, I guess when you're when you're her, you can just lick stuff and put it back. So uh made a couple jokes, went into our commercial break. And he was like, man, you're funny, man. He's like, your, your timing is great. He's like, you know, if... Um, you lived in New York. I'd bring you back. I'd make you a co-host. And I was like, well, I don't live in New York and I'm not going to live in New York. And he was like, what about once a month? And I was like, well, I got bookings and TNA and, you know, I'm not really sure, but yeah, I'll try. Like, sure. And I appreciate it. And it was kind of fun. You know, it was like, wow. He just asked me my opinion. I made a smart ass answer and we didn't have an audience yet or anything, but the other guests laughed and I was like, I'll do it again. You know, it didn't hurt. There was no uh, no lynch mob waiting for me when I walked in the building. So, um, and I came back. I think a month later, I did another one, and then I think it was the I think it was the fourth appearance where uh, everything went wrong. My suitcase got lost. So I was on the show with a t-shirt and a pair of shorts, which is never never good. Uh, not that I've dressed to the nines and stuff, but. Um, And he wanted to talk about, uh, I believe it was the Sterling incident that happened in New Orleans. Uh, It was a police brutality accusation uh, with a a brother and got into it with police officers. And of course, it was being blown up as, you know, all cops are racist and bad and stuff. And it was the last thing that I wanted to talk about. At the time, I think I had just started filming Preacher. And I was like, this, I don't want any parts of this. You know, this is going to kill my career. And, and then he basically said, if you don't, who will? Mm-hmm. He threw it back at me. And I sat on it because I had been on both sides of it. I have unfortunately have some horrible experiences with police officers. and But I've had 90% of them have all been positive and they've helped me. And I've been in situations where I've had a flat tire or something went wrong and an officer's like, Hey, I got, you know, what do you need young man? You know, I've been pulled over and I've been, Hey, you, you know, you need to slow down, you know, have a good night. You know? So I've been on, on that side. And then of course I had the two instances with bad apples. So uh, I really was conflicted. Plus, you know, unfortunately, whenever a black man talks about the police, there's, or politics, we're supposed to fall in a certain box. And if we're, if we're outside of the box, we're not just disagreed with our culture is taken from us. We're no longer black anymore. Uh, we're, there's something wrong with us. So that with that influence with that, I was really thinking about just skipping the show and just be like, ah, I'll catch the next one. I'll just stick to the, you know, celebrities looking donut stories. You know, I don't want any drama, but uh, a buddy of mine, Joe Scaturo, who was like, kind of like helping me manage my stuff. And he was like, why don't you interview some cops? You know, why don't you talk to some police officers, you know? And if you don't like what they have to say, then go out and just say it. Like say, you know, say what you think. Yeah. So uh, I interviewed a few. I talked to three different police officers and it was all and from different walks, different backgrounds, different races, as a matter of fact. And, uh, and one was a woman, 
And I got some stuff off my chest and we just had some real conversations. And then I went on TV and I felt like I went through the show and I was like, I'm just going to speak it. And I, I just said it. I didn't hold back. And uh, the, the I fin- basically finished with when you're resisting arrest, you know, you're, you're not Rosa Parks, you're a criminal. And that episode went viral and it was the, um, it was everywhere. It was bigger than any Fox News story that week. And Greg said, I need you here every week. Mm-hmm. Like, and he's like, you have a voice. You need to use it. He's like, it's not just jokes. You got to, and it's, you don't have to, no one is ever going to tell you, and this is 1000% true. No one is ever going to tell you what to say at Fox News, what to think. You know, you don't have to agree with me. You don't, because he's like you, and you don't know a lot of things. And that's the reason why you're here. Don't, you don't have to, you're never going to be given a piece of paper saying, here's your answer tonight. Or, hey, could you really push this agenda? It just doesn't happen here. And um, I wouldn't remember it anyways. So uh, it was another thing in wrestling when guys had like 7,000 things they wanted to do. I'd be like, bro, just let me know out there because I'm not remembering any of that stuff. Uh, I can remember like TV shows all day long and movie quotes, but my car keys and wrestling moves, I'm going to forget them. But and it just it was one of those things where and then I realized that I had a specific voice to what I thought was brothers like myself and like that and people in my age demographic and, you know, a younger thing. Then this phenomenon started happening because it was a lot of brothers who were like wouldn't openly admit to being Republican, which is stupid. But they would come up to me like, hey, man, keep the good fight. bro. I really appreciate it because pretty much anyone who's making serious money kind of ends up being a Republican. I mean, because you want less taxes, you want smaller government, you want people out of your pocket. So that's kind of a thing. And, um, but then it was older, older women, older ladies, especially older white ladies stopping me in the street saying, Hey, I loved what you said the other night. And I was like, what? Cause usually it used to be when my big tattooed self came walking up, they went the other directions. I mean, they literally, if I if they drove up with me at a stoplight, I could hear the click click. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'd be like, damn, for real? But now that's your uh, fan base. Yeah, like they come out to the point where they can rival. Like, I'm lucky because I'm a strange demographic, because I have the the demographic you want to have in TV, but uh more so than anyone else at Fox. And then on top of that. I have, I hate calling them grandmas because that's not right, but it's an older group and it's not just white ladies, but it's older women that not just say, hey, we love the show. And I sense my, and I made a joke the other day because it wasn't really a joke. I made a statement. It used to be, Tyrus, I love the Greg Gutfeld show. I love when you're on there. You're so funny. We like you. We like what Mm -hmm. you say, but you stand up for it. Now it's Tyrus, I love you. And it's like, excuse me? And, oh, uh, thanks for watching. Because my answer is always, thanks for watching. Like, oh, yeah. thanks for watching. Now it's, uh, okay, thank you. And, you know, and then it's like, uh, and they're proud of me. And, you know, they, they like what I say. But at first, what was it was kind of funny to me. But then it was like, you know what, man? If the old school generation respects what you're saying, that means you had work ethic. And then you're thinking things out and you're not just saying things to seem cool. And I'm not just taking a side to get attention. Sometimes you got to say the wrong thing because, you know, uh, 
especially with like with President Trump. Some of the things he said was straight stupid. And I would stand up if I didn't like something. I was dead against how we talked about the NFL players. I was not cool with that at all. And I didn't try to pretend I was. I did not answer it. I came out with it. And sometimes no one should follow anyone blind. No one should. The tribal thing is stupid. It doesn't work. Living in a box sucks. Mm. You have to have an exchange ideas. And you can have two thoughts in your head. And we need to get back to that because most of us have two thoughts in it. Most of us don't wake up every morning and go, what should my Republican self do today? We don't think in those terms. Usually most of us think about politics when it's time for us to vote. And that's it. And, and that's it. Right. Here in the U.S., it's like it's if you're either with us or you're against us. You're on the blue team or you're on the red team. And that's it. Because we got caught up. One of the downsides of having a reality TV star for president, and that's what President Trump was, is, you know, the his number one show on NBC where he was firing everybody. That persona became him, even though that's a persona he played and he's. He does a lot of other things, but, and then if you weren't with him, you were against him. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of became, because he was so polarized and because the media had the camera on him every day, it became, it rivaled sporting events and it became, politics became sports and it became transparent because everything he did was under a microscope and it kind of backfired on the mainstream media because that also put other politicians under the microscope. Mm-hmm. I always say whether you, the tweets or whatever the policies, he was the most transparent president we ever had because he was always in front of the camera and he never ran from the camera, even when there was times that he should have just not. But he did it anyways. But that made everybody pay attention. All of a sudden, senators and congressmen who've kind of been able to just go about messing over the Americans, whether it's Republican or Democrat, voting for themselves, taking money from special interests. And the only time we really hear from them is when they're running for election. And that stuff got exposed. Yeah. So and then the media made it a team sport. Like if you're you can't have two thoughts, you can't be a Republican and support uh, the Dolphin Project, you know, which I belong to. You can't care about the environment and be a Republican. Who, Who said that? That's not how Americans are. That's not how we are. It's just we fall in the box and then we get the extremes. You get the extreme left and the extreme right. They're the only ones getting airtime. So when you hear a nut job talking about right stuff, you're a regular person like, well, hell, I'm not dealing with that. But then you get the super progressives who are talking about 75,000 genders and everybody's racist. You're like, I'm not with that either. And those are my two choices. Oh, no. And it's not because most of us are right here. Yeah. And it's like what happens in my household. You when you get your check and you get your and you look at the taxes coming out of it. And if it's higher than it normally is, you're going to have a problem with that. And then you're going to look at which. Hey, who's going to lower my taxes? Yeah, And right now, you know, when you're filling up your gas tank. Yeah. And right now, unfortunately, listen, I don't. What's happening right now in this country sucks. It's it's terrible. The last thing you want to do is have a bad president. Our, our administration, it seems like they're disconnected from you and it doesn't do anybody any good. You might get more ratings because you'll say more things to trash people, but that doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, I'm lucky that I can fill up my gas tank, which like right now to fill up my truck is legit about 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. And the cold part is the, the pumps are capped off at 100. So like literally you got that, you got to repay and then fill up just to fill up your tank. And 
I'm lucky because I've I've managed to have, I have a good career and I have what multiple pay sources. I get different checks coming in from different things. So I'm able to weather that storm. But I'm telling you right now, five years ago, I, I wouldn't have been filling up my truck. You know, I would have had to make some tough decisions. And, yeah. and we're seeing that right now because it's not just the gas. When you have high inflation, everything's more expensive. The barbershop's more expensive. Groceries are like, just this week, there's, we have a family. I got what? How many? I got, I got, I got Chris Masters. Uh, Chris Adonis is staying with me right now while he's healing. So, and he's basically like feeding another child. He doesn't, he doesn't he's know. a large how, child. Yeah. He doesn't really know how to kick in on things yet. Like he, things like, hey, you guys are out of bananas. We'll go get them. Like you're a grown ass man. But um, to go shopping for like, Food grocery grocery bill for a week is like four hundred bucks is normally what it would be, and um, now it's almost seven hundred bucks. So you figure seven hundred bucks and one hundred fifty dollars just to fill up your tank. That's literally somebody's damn near almost all their paycheck, and it's not fancy food. That's just like base things in the house because we don't I don't eat up that much. So you're a large man too, though. Yeah, but I mean, and I'm on the road. I'm in New York and stuff, and I meal prep, but. I'm talking about just basic milk, cereal, eggs, all that stuff. And Chris Masters bananas. And Chris Masters bananas. Yeah. It, <laughs> when I think about that, it doesn't matter who, if, if President Trump was in right now and Biden was out, I would be like, bruh, the same way like this, you have to start doing. And when you blame, and the last thing I, I, I hate is anybody can blame things on it. And then in my book, I always talk about accountability. And I can, you blame everybody. You can't move on. If I blame that, I'll tell you right now, if I said it was WWE's fault that I got fired, I would still be where I was the day they got fired. Just a lot worse off financially. Yeah. But you can't grow when you put it on somebody else. When you can look in the mirror and be like, what did I do yeah. to get let go? You can't lie to yourself. You know it. Like, you, you know, I might go on Twitter and that's the only difference is that I've worked. Uh, I come from I, maybe it's the Gen X thing. I don't know. But we tend to my most of my friends and most of the people that I come up with or my peers, we tend to own it when something goes bad. It's not the environment. It's not the president. It's not, you know, social media. It's it's me. So when you own things, it's a lot easier to fix things. So when I have the president come up and say it's Putin's fault, I get I just go, even if let's just say it was, do you have a solution? Because that's really what everybody wants to hear. That's what you want to hear. That's what I want to hear. We don't want to hear whose fault it was. It doesn't matter yeah. whose fault it was. It's happening right now. Can you fix it or not? And it would be a lot better to come out and say, we can't fix it right now. And we're going to have to figure it out. So bear with us while we try to, we're going to try some things. I would support that. I'd be like, thanks, President Biden, for keeping it real. Instead of like, it's Putin. Uh, oh, it's going to be great. We're all going to go to windmills and electric cars. Yeah, we got snowstorms, sir. The electric cars really, we saw what happens with them. That technology is great and we will get there, but we're not there yet. It's a transition. Everything was a transition. People went from horseback riding, driving cars. It wasn't over a weekend. It was years, you know, yeah. and then buggy whips and buggy carts went away. And then it's a transition. Doing it like we're just going to go cold turkey doesn't work. And you end up in a situation like we have right now. So with all that said, Tyrus, and I want to be super respectful of your time. This has been so great. Just a few more questions. Would you ever run for a public office? (sighs) Here's my problem. This is what I would run on. This is why I'll never get elected. 
I would I would run on I would if because at the I did a show in Utah with uh, Gutfeld um, this weekend and they were like 2028 tires you should run for president and I said well here's what I would run on I would run on term limits and no income taxes for firefighters nurses and police officers that would be that would those three things the two things I would run on and uh, I'll never get in because no senator is going to support me because my first executive order would be anyone who has served more than 20 years in the Senate. Thank you for your service. It's time to go home. We're not going to have any more guys dying on the job. How is being a senator or a congressman, you could die on the job. You wouldn't let anyone else stay at work to the point where they could die. I love John McCain. I love everything he stood for. But there was no reason that he should have still been in office. And he's not Mitch McConnell, uh, Pelosi, all of them, all those that old school generation. They have become millionaires serving this country, which in itself is an oxymoron. You should not be a millionaire for a job that pays one hundred and seventy three thousand dollars a year. And you have your insurance, you have full benefits. You, you have a nice life. You have a nice house. But you should not have two. You, Bernie Sanders is a socialist with two with two mansions. Huh? How does that even work? And it's not just one side. It's both sides. Like they got and then we all blame the president. But every time a president gets in office, if he's not on our side of the street, we do everything we can to undermine him. We saw that. With, it started with Obama when Mitch and his little band of merry men got together. Bill Maher talks about it where they decided he's we're going to make him a one term president. That's not what a, what a senator is supposed to do. And so they went out of their way to try to to go, to take down everything he did. They stole the justice pick from him. So what did you think was going to happen when President Trump got in? The Democrats are just going to be like, oh, it's cool. No. Yeah. So then they're like, guess what? He's a one term president and we're going to go after him with everything. So who suffers? The American people and the president of the United States suffers because of the, the, the Congress and the Senate. So they need to go term limits. It literally should be and no more lawyers. We need teachers, former policemen. We need construction workers, dentists. We need people from daycare. We need people from all walks of life in America yeah. to run for office. You can serve for 12 years or eight years in each thing. You can keep moving up. And if you eventually you'll get a whole, if that's your career. But we should have no 40-year senator because he's one outdated. You know, think about that old guy in your neighborhood who, if you stepped on his grass, came running out at you. That's who's making decisions in this country right Get now. off my lawn. lawn. Yeah, you ready punk kid. So, and like, sir, I'm 30. Like, but if we did that, I think, and here's the deal. You can keep those guys on as advisors. You can, you know, they're going to make a ton of money making speeches and stuff. But you don't, you, you have change. Because anyone who stays in anything too long, it becomes about them. So I yeah. think that's, uh, that's what I would run on. And that's why my big self would never get elected but uh it would be it would be a fun just to do the speeches yeah this has been such a great conversation oh, and, i appreciate it man. Thank, thank you so much and i love that we've been able to talk about everything and i mean there's i still have a list of things we haven't got to which is amazing well hey we can always come back to it anytime man you let me know but well, you know in the meantime june 11th always ready i am ready yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm looking to it's going to be a, a historical night for me because after I successfully defend this, sorry, Mims, just not your time, Briz, uh, then I will be looking at 10 pounds of gold. I don't care who wins it. Nick, Matt, 
tomato, tomato. Either way, and they got their own personal thing going on, and they're forgetting about the big elephant in the room who's just chewing on a Adonis banana, pizza, <laughs> banana to fruit, watching the game. So we'll see how this plays out. So I end every interview with gratitude. Uh, I wake up every day, I say out loud three things that I'm grateful for. So I end every interview with that as well. Awesome. So, Tyrus, what are three things in your life that you're grateful for right now? Um, I'm grateful for my family, uh, my friends, and my work ethic. And I'm grateful that you gave a shout out to your number one fan, Therese. That's going to score me a lot of brownie points. Hey, Therese, thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> and thanks for watching. Tyrus, this has been awesome. Appreciate thank you. Sir. Anytime, man. Have me back anytime. Great interview. Thank you, sir. Okay, big thank you to Tyrus for joining us. And NWA Always Ready is just around the corner, live on Fight TV, June 11th from Knoxville, Tennessee. Also, go grab a copy of Tyrus's book called Just Tyrus, a Memoir. Find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy your books. My girlfriend's mom, Therese, loves it. I know you will too. Take a screenshot. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Let us know what stood out for you the most here. Tag Tyrus on Twitter. He's at Planet Tyrus. On Instagram, he's at Tyrus Smash. You can tag me. I'm at Chris Van Vliet. And I'll leave you with the very wise words of Confucius. A man is great not because he hasn't failed. A man is great because failure hasn't stopped him. Be great and be grateful. We will see you on the next one for some more insight.